0: This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Brotmarkle, and this week is a special Christmas time edition of the program. We'll go to Fort Christmas Historic Park in East Orange County.
1: So the war started in 1835, it lasted for seven years, it ended in 1842. And Fort Christmas, of course, was built in 1837.
0: We'll look at the Florida tradition of hunting wild turkeys for Christmas dinner.
2: I'm sorry to say that the hens really aren't very smart because I've had them walk right over my feet. You don't shoot hens unless you're real hungry.
0: And explore how Christmas has been celebrated in Florida over the centuries. All that ahead on Florida Frontiers. Thousands of people from throughout Central Florida converge on the small town of Christmas every year to have the town's postmark appear on their Christmas cards. Although East Orlando keeps moving closer and closer, Christmas is still a rural community located in East Orange County about halfway between Orlando and Titusville. Fort Christmas Historic Park features a collection of historic cracker houses from the late 1800s and early 1900s, cow camps, and a schoolhouse, but at the heart of the park is a replica of Fort Christmas, which was originally built during the Second Seminole Indian War. Vicki Pruitt is a recreation specialist at Fort Christmas Historic Park.
1: The war was mainly being fought because um, of people moving into the state and settling, and they were uh, encroaching upon the land that Seminoles were using, so they, there would be skirmishes. There was also the slavery issue because the slaves would leave Georgia and hide out among the Seminole Indians, and so they were always having uh, troops coming down or people coming down trying to recapture slaves, and so it was basically a slave issue, a land issue. Um, of course they couldn't agree on, on how to use the land, So the war started in 1835. It lasted for seven years. It ended in 1842. And Fort Christmas, of course, was built in 1837.
0: Many Florida towns grew up around forts that were constructed during the Second Seminole Indian War. For example, Orlando grew up around Fort Gatlin, Sanford around Fort Mellon, and Fort Pierce is still called that from the Seminole War Fort named after Lieutenant Colonel Kendrick Pierce. The idea was to build the forts about a day's walk apart so the soldiers could walk from one fort to another during the day and have protection at night. Fort Christmas was constructed in what is now East Orange County. Vicki Pruitt.
1: They were in a winter campaign in December of 1837. They left uh, Fort Mellon, which is over on what we call Lake Monroe now. And they were trying to establish a chain of supply forts to keep the army that was fighting the Indians supplied with the materials they need. So they were following the St. John's as close as they could without being up to their waist in water and uh, establishing the forts. They arrived at a place about a mile north of here on December 25th and started building their fort. So they named their fort Fort Christmas because they started it on Christmas Day.
0: Fort Christmas was a typical Seminole Indian War fort made of tall pine pickets. The fort is 80 linear square feet with two blockhouses that are 20 square feet each, with a storehouse and a powder magazine within the walls of the fort. Joseph Adams is a recreation specialist at Fort Christmas Historic Park and describes what's on display in the Fort Christmas replica.
3: Well, Blockhouse 1 has exhibits on the Second Seminole Indian War, the soldiers, and the Seminoles. Uh, blockhouse 2 has uh, some of our more prized possessions from the Christmas community and exhibits uh, community life. And the storehouse has exhibits on some of the tools they would have used and then some of the tools the pioneers used. And we even have a model of one of the steamboats that went up and down the St. John's River.
0: In addition to the replica of Fort Christmas, the historic park features two cow camps, the Union Christmas School, and a variety of historic cracker houses from different eras. As Vicky Pruitt explains, each house is staged with artifacts and exhibits.
1: We try to make the homes look like someone was living there and had just stepped out for the day. Um, each home usually has at least one bedroom, but instead of repeating bedrooms, we put special exhibits to tell how the pioneers used to live. We've got a, a textile exhibit, we've got a post office exhibit, a cattle ranching exhibit, uh, and a hunting, fishing, trapping exhibit. But each home that has a kitchen has the kitchen represented, the main living room represented, and uh, a bedroom. They were moved from their original location. Most of them were donated. And then we upfitted them to represent different time periods. Uh, Some of them we took back to the very beginning, Others of them we left at a later period, uh, but all of them had to have a certain amount of work done to them to get to the, the periods that we represent here.
0: The cracker houses on display at Fort Christmas Historic Park feature familiar names from Florida's pioneer days, such as Simmons, Wheeler, Bass, and Yates.
1: Most of the families that settled in the Fort Christmas area, they, they came in through North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia and into northern Florida and then on down into the central Florida and then they even proceeded on down south so you see these names repeated in especially rural communities all throughout the state of Florida. Uh, The Yates family, I know they're widespread. The Simmons family, um, we don't have houses for all of our pioneer families of course but the Tuckers are throughout the state. The Osteens are throughout the state. There's even a little community called Osteen, Florida. The Browns um, so these pioneers when they arrived here, you know, in the early times in, when they arrived in central Florida like in about 1858 uh and then spread out from there, they were very large families. And so as these kids got a little older, then they continued to spread out through, you know, throughout the different communities in the state and build land. Everybody wants land. That's the main issue. Finding a home.
0: As Joseph Adams explains, two or three groups of students come to Fort Christmas
3: Historic Park every week. Well, we have about eight different educational programs we can do with the students. Uh, today's program is just going to be a general tour. They'll make and taste butter. Uh, we have a program, uh, which is my favorite, Children's Chores, uh, where they make and taste butter, but they also wash clothes, snap beans, uh, feed the chickens, they pump water. And well, the students, you know, they'll a lot of students have chores, but the idea of the kind of chores and daily activities that the children had to do in the past is quite fascinating to them and very different.
0: It's like we went back in time. Yeah. It's like we're in the back, back of the porch.
4: Okay, like to get porch. Okay. I'm getting
1: on. By the early 1860s, we had families arriving out here. And throughout the 60s, by the end of the 60s, early 70s, we're talking 1800s, uh, we had probably 20 families living out here. And these are our uh, uh, families that are still in the area today. A lot of them, their descendants are here. They built farms, they had ranches, they lived off the land. When you came out here into the wilderness, you brought your wagon and your family, you brought your farm tools. Basically, though, you didn't work for anybody else. You worked for yourself. You worked for your own family unit. And in the old days, the families were very large. A small family would be six kids. A large family might have 13 or 14 kids. So this is a lot of people to feed, isn't it? So they had to all work. And and that's one thing I want you to think of is as we go through the day, um, you kids would be working. You would have to work for your food. You had to raise your own garden, you had to have fields of corn, they had fields of sugar cane, Um, you had to go hunting for extra food, of course you had your livestock, and one thing they found when they got into this area is there were wild cows, there were cattle running all over the state.
0: In addition to frequent tours for students, Fort Christmas Historic Park hosts a couple of major events during the year, not surprisingly one of them recognizes Christmas. Well, the first weekend,
3: full weekend in December, is always Cracker Christmas for us, and we just did our thirty-second Cracker Christmas. It uh, essentially this is our largest special event of the year. We have uh, about a about 150 to 175 crafters, people who make handmade crafts to sell. Uh, then we have uh, demonstrations of you know pioneer skills. Uh, we the syrup making, which is a big thing, people come back for every year. Uh, soap making. Uh, Wood carving, uh, weaving, spinning, um, whip making. This year, uh, just you know, they are about blacksmithing. Blacksmithing is about a hundred. Yeah, we do about fifty to sixty different uh, demonstrations. Of course, we have a Confederate camp, and then uh, the historical society sells barbecue, which is always really good.
1: And all of our community groups are nonprofit local groups: the 4-H, the FFA. Uh, they come and they earn money for their group by selling hot dogs or gator bites or um, beef, beef on a stick. stick that type of thing.
3: We also have another larger event uh, our bluegrass festival which is normally the third weekend in March right and we bring in about four local bluegrass groups but they are really good groups and again we have some crafters but it's not as big a, a craft show as uh, say Crack Christmas But it's two days under the oaks of uh, pure bluegrass music.
0: Visitors to Fort Christmas Historic Park enjoy the historic homes and the Fort Replica, but there's also a playground and picnic pavilions that attract many people.
1: We get a lot of local people coming here to picnic. I mean, our park is maxed out as far as the pavilions go every weekend with picnickers. But then we also get senior groups that come for parties and functions, like during the week sometimes. We have... a lot of people dropping in who are from overseas. You know, they 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 see our sign on the road, or they've Googled Central Florida, and something comes up, and they they stop in here, and some of them repeatedly yes. come back with whoever they bring on their next holiday to 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 see us.
0: Vicki Pruitt and Joseph Adams are recreation specialists at Fort Christmas Historic Park in East Orange County. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. I'm Ben Broatmarkle, and this is a special Christmas time edition of the program. Join us on the web at myfloridahistory.org to purchase last minute gifts like great books and DVDs about Florida history and culture. You can give someone a gift membership in the Florida Historical Society or become a member yourself. Many people look forward to Christmas dinner with family and friends as much as they do Thanksgiving. Janie Gould has this look at the Florida tradition of hunting wild turkeys for Christmas dinner.
5: There once was a hallowed holiday tradition among some Floridians. They bagged their own turkey, not in the supermarket, but rather in the backcountry, where the Florida turkey ranges. Fort Pierce builder Pete Peterson used to hunt the big birds for his family's Christmas dinner. He describes his hunting trips this
2: way. Sometimes successful, sometimes not. What was the secret to catching a turkey? Outsmarting the gobblers. I'm sorry to say that the hens really aren't very smart because I've had them walk right over my feet. You don't shoot hens unless you're real hungry. The gobblers are mighty smart or they wouldn't get long beards.
5: In other words, they have a longer lifespan than the hens.
2: Very much longer.
5: Gobbler season is in the spring, you were saying but you were able to do a little bit of turkey hunting before Christmas in
2: years past? I don't know exactly what the rules are now, but back in the 40s, we did get a turkey for Christmas.
5: Tell me what you brought home for the Christmas dinner table.
2: Uh, Well, most of the time it was a store-bought turkey. (laughs) In other words, you came home empty-handed a few times? I came home empty-handed a lot of times. We have venison or wild hog or fish. Or we'd go down and buy some. Tell me about your most memorable turkey. My son John and I were out. We had a hunting lease on the Teet Holmes Ranch. It spread from 441 all the way back to the Kissimmee River. I think it was uh, 30,000 acres. We had plenty of place to roam, and there were three hunting camps on there, so you could stay away from each other. We were going along a marsh, and I heard some turkeys. John didn't have a gun, I shot one turkey, handed him the gun because we could hear the turkeys walking down the water. He ran down to the end where he could see, and he shot a turkey. So we had two turkeys. Well, one of them was so tough you couldn't cut the gravy, and the other one was so tender it fell off the bone. Don't ask me why. I think, though, that the tough one had to work much harder for its food. They'll walk miles and miles and miles across open fields and palmettos and so on, eating grasshoppers, bugs, acorns, and nuts, that kind of stuff.
5: So they get their exercise and keep the weight down.
2: That's why they only get over 20 pounds.
5: Both turkeys were on the dinner table. Who had dressed the turkeys and prepared them for roasting?
2: Olive wouldn't touch dressing anything wild, wow. so you know who did that. She cooked it, though, and we stuffed it, just like you would a normal turkey.
5: And, of course, we're talking about your late wife, Olive Dame Peterson, who was a historian and author. What happened with the tough turkey? You didn't eat it,
2: right? Well, we chewed on it for a while, but I think most of it went out.
5: Did most people back in those days get wild turkey at Christmas time?
2: Well, I don't know about your town people, but most of your country people, I think, were hunters, People that are very wealthy fly around the country. They get all four of the American turkeys. The up east, the Florida Osceolus, the northwest, and the southwest. They could belong to the Grand Slam Club. I gather you're not a member, but you've caught
5: a lot of the Florida Osceolus. Is that the name of the Florida turkey?
2: Yes. They range probably in two-thirds of the state. I don't believe that you find them up in North Florida. I guess they're pretty plentiful. I wouldn't say they're plentiful, but they're smart. That makes them plentiful.
5: (laughs) They know how to stay alive.
2: (laughs) That's right.
5: (laughs) So more of them got away from you than were caught by you.
2: Oh, definitely, definitely. I've seen hundreds of turkeys, but I've only uh, managed to bag, I think this was my 15th.
5: I've been talking with Pete Peterson, a home builder in Fort Pierce, and until earlier this year, a hunter. He recently celebrated his 91st birthday.
0: Janie Gould from WQCS prepared that report. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. For some people, the winter holiday season means traffic and crowded shopping malls. Many long for an old-fashioned Christmas with more tradition and less commercialism. Bill Dudley explores some of the diverse ways Floridians have observed Christmas over the past few centuries.
6: For his book, Christmas in Florida, author Kevin McCarthy studied newspapers, journals, and other accounts of how early Floridians celebrated the holidays. He says it all began in 1539 with the Hernando de Soto expedition, camped at a site half a mile from our present-day state capitol building.
4: De Soto came through here in 1539, and in December of that year, they arrived in what became Tallahassee. They had a priest with them, and they celebrated what is probably the first Christmas
6: mass in North America. St. Augustine, founded 26 years later, became the main Spanish outpost on the peninsula and the object of British raiding parties from Georgia. Christmas Day 1702 found the soldiers and townspeople huddled inside the fort, besieged by British artillery.
4: The governor, on Christmas Day, he had the soldiers play their guitars and mouth harps and they had a little bit of a celebration in the fort, and the governor ordered the treasurer to distribute a Christmas bonus to the soldiers. Even though they probably couldn't afford it, it was important to uplift the morale of the soldiers in the fort at that time.
6: McCarthy quotes a soldier's account from the old city describing a Christmas feast nearly a century later.
4: A very good dinner of roasted turkeys and pig, corned beef, ham, plum pudding, and pumpkin tarts we dined together, 30 in number, and many of the company had merrily spent the evening by a variety of songs.
6: In the very center of the newly created state of Florida, Orlando in the 1850s was a wide-open cowboy town where folks took holiday eating seriously.
4: The main Christmas meal consisted of bear and deer meat, sweet potatoes, homemade cheese, cornbread, and lots of syrup made from sugarcane. They also might have, for example, barbecued a hog or a steer or cooked some fish.
6: In contrast, another account describes Christmas festivities around 1870 on South Florida's thinly populated frontier.
4: People would invite neighbors over for a feast of possum. They would fatten the possum with sweet potatoes for about a month, so the possum got quite large. So on Christmas Day, everybody would wake up and begin making preparations for the big meal, and then the host would prepare the possum. He would place sweet potatoes around the meat in the oven and cover it with thin strips of bacon.
6: For dessert, they had prickly pear pie. Surprisingly, Christmas was not declared a national holiday until 1870. Floridians did not make it official until 1881.
4: The holiday was associated with religious celebrations and to keep, I think, the state and religion separate. There was a much reluctance to have an
6: official holiday. Some 19th century Floridians enjoyed celebrating the big day with fireworks, much to the annoyance of other more peace-loving citizens.
4: It surprised me to see how often small communities used firecrackers to celebrate a holiday like Christmas. Local officials would outlaw fireworks because... Not only were they noisy, but they also could cause fires in the dry brush at that time of the year.
6: There were a lot of Christmas Day parades, sporting events, and open-air pageants, as well as more unusual ways to celebrate, including medieval jousting held in Tampa and other Florida towns in the 1880s.
4: There was a lot of influence from Sir Walter Scott's Ivanhoe novel. They reenacted some of the jousting tournaments that took place Each would-be knight would wear a fancy dress uniform with a colorful sash, carry a lance about eight feet long, and they would race to these small rings and try to pluck them as they rode by.
6: No married men or boys under 16 were allowed to participate in the contests, which continued well into the 20th century. Christmas Day 1925 brought Daytona residents an unexpected gift in the form of thousands of boxes of contraband.
4: A ship, a schooner in fact, called the Fulsham sank during a winter storm. For weeks afterwards, boxes of
6: whiskey would make their way to shore from the sunken wreck. McCarthy's book describes more modern ethnic traditions, with recipes ranging from Finnish rutabaga casserole to Italian panettone, Menorcan bread pudding, and African romaine salad with oranges. He tells of a Cuban pig roast in the 1960s. They would
4: marinate the meat overnight in a sauce of sour oranges, oregano, onion, and lots of garlic. The men would cover the pork with palm fronds and cook it for six or seven hours. Meanwhile the women were preparing black beans, rice, salad, yucca, Cuban bread, and wine. For dessert they would serve
6: a Spanish nugget candy made with nuts. Author Kevin McCarthy, his book Christmas in Florida, published by Pineapple Press, shows us that there are as many ways to celebrate the Christmas tradition as there are cultures under the Florida Sun. I'm Bill Dudley. With funding from the Florida Department of State Division of Cultural Affairs, this report was produced by the Florida Humanities Council.
0: You've been listening to a special Christmas time edition of Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. You can hear archived editions of this program at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Broatmarkle, wishing you happy holidays from everyone at the Florida Historical Society.